Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. I'm Pastor Ben. We're glad you're here this morning. Are you guys, okay, I'm getting a sense that you guys aren't really fully awake. Come on, maybe it's just me. Um, but guys, we're glad to, he- to be here to celebrate, to kick off and start a new series. And uh, before we do that, I want to share with you um, some, well, this uh, building update. Um, I know a lot of you guys have been praying. A lot of you guys have been uh, gener- generously sacrificing uh, to, to see something happen as far as uh, relocation. Uh, last summer, we bought some land, um, and, and we just felt that, that we need to do everything we can to provide enough space to reach more and more people. Uh, we don't want to get more excited about a building than people coming to know Jesus, um, and, and sometimes there's a temptation to do that, but we simply don't have the space that we would love to have to do the kind of ministries that we, wanna, we want to have and, and to have the kind of uh, impact and reach that, that we believe God wants us to have. And so some of you guys know we've been in this process. Last summer we bought some land, um, and how are we as an, uh, a very young church uh, that, that doesn't have just tons of um, multi-millionaires within our congregation, unless some of you guys are holding out on me. <laughs> That's not right. You come talk to me afterwards. <clears throat> but, but God has provided for us in incredible ways, and um, he continues to do that. And so just to give you an update, some of you guys, this may be brand new information. Maybe it's your first time here, and you, you aren't qu- quite aware of where we are as a church family uh, but just two, a little over two miles up this same road in Harriman, we purchased that land this past summer. Um, and here's actually a, a picture of the lot that you see up there. And so we've been working with a group called Building God's Way. It's a group that's, that's built, I think, over 800 churches. And they happen to be in Utah, which is kind of unusual and surprising. <laughs> but they're here in Utah, and uh, we've been working with their architects and and. and the thing, just so if, if you don't know exactly how we're moving forward as a church to be able to do this, it is very expensive to buy land. It is very expensive to build buildings. Our church, we're a locally autonomous church. Everything that we do, completely how we operate, is based on people's individual donations to Lifestone Church. Uh, we don't have some big outside group or something somehow providing space or or buildings or anything thing like that. So it's your generosity um, that, that makes this happen. And so we've been, we've been working with um, uh, this group, Building God's Way, and the, the partnership that we're looking to have is to put a preschool in the building that would help us be able to build the building. Uh, we wouldn't be able to even come close to building a facility like this if we didn't have a partnership. Uh, and so we what's kind of been hesitant um, what, what slowed down the process, because this is why we wanted to give you an update. We wanted to share with you all these details at the beginning of the year. And we've just been waiting for more information to come in. The first preschool that we were going to partner with, um, after looking at how the partnership would look, how the finances would look and paying for the building, it just wasn't going to work. And so we said, well, hey, we're not going to be stressed. We're not going to worry. God's going to take care of us. But what does he want us to do next? And so we got uh, uh, connected with another preschool program 
Um, and we were really more excited about this preschool program. It's a, a Christian-based preschool program, um, and I think it'll work a lot better for our partnership uh, to, to actually pay for the building. Uh, we're still waiting for the details from them, uh, all the details of how this partnership would look and work. But in the meantime, we have been working, as you see some images back here, with architects to try to plan out what it would look like to develop our property out there. So, Heather, if you could go back, go back to the very first one. <laughs> All right. So you see, if you're familiar with our land, it's this long, skinny strip, which, which uh, we're excited. It has a ton of frontage. And so everyone in our area and community should know we exist. I run into people all the time, and they ask where our church building is. And I describe it, and they're like, I never noticed anything over there. I think it's very easy to drive quickly by. This will not, will be almost the opposite. Um, the, a lot of frontage, and so it will be known. We want people to know we exist so we can share, uh, share Jesus with them. Um, and then uh, we'll jump over, I guess, I'm trying to see, uh, to the next image there. There's a floor plan that we're looking at. And I know that, you know, you probably can't even see. Let's see. Okay. Well, uh, there's a, a youth area. There's, there's a huge lobby with an indoor play area for kids because here at Lifestone, we love kids and we want kids to drag their parents to church. Uh, and there's just a ton of kid space, which we're very excited about. The reason for that amount of kid space is because of the partnership with the preschool. But we think that works really well with our heart. Uh, to try to reach young families and, and to have kids really have the best experience learning and knowing about who Jesus is. Um, I want to show you just another quick image, and it's this next one. And here's the green to give you guys an indication. The green is the size of our current building. All right? <laughs> so uh, in the new building that we're looking at, the lobby and almost the bathroom and lobby is about the same size. <laughs> as the building that, that we're hoping that, that this all comes about and that God will provide. And so that's where we are. I wish I could give you more details. Once we have many, many more details of exactly timelines, how this is going to work, now that we're partnering with a new preschool, the building will probably increase in size. They tend to do larger preschool programs. And so it'll be, we think, very similar to what we've worked on but actually maybe bumped out a little bit. And so, guys, here's what I ask of you. Please continue to pray for wisdom. We want to make God-honoring decisions in this whole process and, and, and to keep our focus on why we're doing it. This thing is not going to last for eternity. It is just concrete and bricks and wood and all that kind of stuff, and that is not what we're ultimately excited about, although it'll be pretty cool. Um, Ultimately, we're excited about the tool that it can be used as uh, to, to do ministry and to reach people. And so if you guys would just continue to pray for us, and we will try to give you guys as much information as we have moving forward. Let's pray, and we're going to jump into this new series. God, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to gather here as your people, to encounter you in a special way. God, I pray as we look at your word, as we look at this amazing book uh, that we find in the New Testament, God, I pray it just gives us life and hope and encouragement about what you have done in our lives and what you call other people to in a relationship with you. God, I pray uh, we walk out of these doors excited 
more about who you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I love church planners. And that's a weird word. You know, it's like insider lingo, a church planter. How you plant a church, like there's some church seed that you, you know, dig up in the ground and throw it in there and start watering it. Um, We, for some reason, well, I'll tell you why, call church planters that title because we realize that Jesus is the one that started the church. We're not starting the church, so we, we don't use so much that lingo, people who are just starting new local expressions of a church body, uh, like we've done here at Lifestone six years ago. That's all it is. We're just a part of something that started 2,000 years ago. Um, but I love church planners. Just I can connect well with them. Uh, it's something that I feel like God's called me to, uh, to be a part of, to support. And um, there's a church planner. His story, I think, is kind of interesting. He's out, outside of our country. And this young church planner heard the good news, the simple gospel that Jesus paid his debt, paid the debt of sin so that we could be right with God simply by putting our trust and faith in Jesus. He hears this message, and he's from this podunk small town. Who here, like me, is from a small podunk town? Yeah, of course, if you're from Wyoming, it's got to be a small town, (laughs) right? And I grew up near Wyoming, um, and, and, and I love small towns, and part of me sometimes, I'm like, I'm in this stupid big city, and there's all this traffic and people and stuff, but... Oh, well, there's some good things to it, too. You forget, right? Um, but anyways, this guy's from a really small, insignificant town that doesn't, isn't, doesn't make, uh, uh, when you look at the historical uh, uh, impact this town has had, it's not very much. He's from the small town. But he brings this good news back to his hometown, and he shares it with people. There's never been a, a gathering of believers in this place. And so he begins and plants the first church in the city. And it's so exciting. And all these people are learning this wonderful new message, this gospel, this good news about who Jesus is. But then something happens that sadly happens a lot in Christianity and in churches. Other people come in and they bring a different message, a kind of twist to what he simply heard and received and was sharing with his, with his community. They, they come in and they're like, well, yeah, that's good. We've heard about this new Christianity thing and, and you know, that's great. But, but surely we don't want to throw out everything. Like, here's our background and our spiritual upbringing. And we want to we just influence this new message that you're bringing. And so this young pastor who I'm like, man, I identify with you. You're in this tough place. When we went to Harriman, well, one reason that we started there is because it was the biggest city in the U.S. without just a Bible-based church in it. And so that we, we just couldn't believe in our country there, there was a city of that size that didn't, didn't have something like that. So I, I really connect with this guy. But he didn't know what to do. These people are coming in the church, trying to influence it, trying to steer people and really change the message. And so all he knew to do is, is think, well, who are the, the scholars, who are the leaders uh, in this Christian movement? And so he took off from his small podunk, podunk town and went to go meet with 
uh, one of the biggest, probably the most well-known leader in Christianity uh, in his area on the other side of the world. But he's imprisoned. Uh, he's in jail because Christianity uh, is, is being persecuted in that part of the world at that time. And, and uh, he's a big leader and, and, and he's in jail. And so he goes to him and he's like, well, maybe he, he can still help me. And he goes to him and he asks, well, hey, here's my situation. Uh, I brought this incredible, wonderful, amazing, best news ever of who Jesus is and what he's done to our town. We started this, uh, planted this church uh, in our community, but then these outsiders are coming in, and they're trying to totally twist it and change just this simple message. And so what this guru, this church leader did was write a letter because he's stuck in prison, so he couldn't just go to this church and, and try to straighten things out. He wrote a letter to this church gathering to straighten this whole mess out. And that is what we have in the book of Colossians. It's really just a letter to a church that, that is in this small town with this young pastor who heard this simple good news message, but then outsiders are coming in trying to pervert it, trying to twist it, and, and, and really change it to, to, to actually nullify the good news. Really, as we call this whole series Jesus Without Religion, they want to take Christianity and turn it back into a religion a system of morality and ceremonies and, and levels that you climb in order to be right with God or to get some position with God. And, and Paul has seen this. Now this is, I don't know, did I trick anyone? Did you guys think that was like today and now? No, okay. <laughs> I had Adam for a minute, all right. But um, 2,000 years ago, uh, this was so common. The gospel is new. You would think, well, yeah, it was 2,000 years of it getting twisted and lost and, and, and stuff and people kind of influencing it. No. Right off the bat, people wanted to bring in their background and their thinking of religion into what Jesus did. And what Jesus came to do was completely different from any other system. He is the system. Everything is found in him. He is all that's needed. And so when people come in and try to add to it, it completely messes up the gospel. And so Colossians is just one of the most powerful uh, books of the Bible that we have that helps us make sure that we're just clearly understanding what the good news is. And so I hope that you're excited just for the next uh, four or five weeks to walk through this small little book. There's only four chapters um, it's, it's at the very, very end of your Bible. If you have a Bible here this morning, it's hard to find sometimes because as you're flipping through, it's so small. And so as we look at it, we're just going to look at the first 14 verses uh, this morning. I, I originally thought we could get a little farther, but, but I don't want to keep you guys forever. And, and we're just going to look at these first uh, 14 uh, um, verses. So Colossians 1 it begins by saying this, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So two people are mentioned uh, right off the bat. Uh, Paul is the guru. He's the biblical scholar. I guess you could call him a biblical scholar. God used him to write much of the New Testament. And so um, he's the one in prison at this time 
trying to help this young gathering of believers um, figure out this mess that they seem to be in and being um, that, that outside influences hap- having uh, with them. Timothy is, is a, a guy that we see throughout Scripture. We, we see some books of the Bible even attributed to his name. And he's this guy that, that Paul was very impressed with. And uh, he's, he's someone that Paul takes under his wing and uses him and sends him out to different, uh, different church gatherings, different congregations to help lead them. And he's always kind of a part of, of Paul's ministry. Um, but this, this role apostle, sometimes we see titles within the New Testament, and it's important. Why does Paul start out and say, hey, I'm an apostle? Because this is a very unique leadership position within the New Testament church that we need to know what this means, what kind of authority this holds. So he opens the letter saying, okay, um, please listen to what I have to say because I am an apostle. So who is an apostle in Scripture? An apostle, there's, there's uh, some, some different um, qualifications that we see for an apostle. In Acts, uh, very early on, uh, the church is dealing with this issue that they feel like God wants them to have 12 apostles. Uh, the, the 12 originally that were following Jesus, that saw his whole ministry, that, that, that was with him and, and, and could have this firsthand account knowledge of Jesus. Uh, his resurrection, they were eyewitnesses to his resurrection is really the key to being qualified to be an apostle. And so early on in Acts, they lost an apostle, who, someone who would have qualified for that position in Judas. Judas is the one who betrays Jesus on the night he's arrested, right? And he, he eventually is so guilt-ridden by that, he, he goes off and, and, uh, and uh, ends his own life. And, and so there's 11. And when the church is getting started, they're like, well, we feel like God wants us to have 12. So in them trying to d- determine who could be an apostle, they talked about the qualifications for that role. And in Acts, um, Acts 1.22, it says, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus, uh, Jesus' resurrection. And so that was one of the qualifications that they said that this has to be uh, a part of someone's experience, that they have encountered firsthand, face-to-face, the resurrected Jesus. So Paul is really unique, and he says this, and he points this out, that he's like this kind of strange, unique apostle that God has called. But, but nevertheless, he is uh, very confident and clear, and the church confirms this eventually, uh, that yes, he must be an apostle of God. He encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus in this very unique uh, setting where, where God had this unique plan on his life, and he just, uh, Jesus goes and, and encounters him in that setting. You can read that in Acts. But this is really important because... When we understand the biblical qualification for apostles and the purpose of apostles, we can kind of be warned if anybody else is claiming this authority and this title and this position, and it's today that they're claiming it, it's just not, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't really back that up. That, that, it, that the, what the Bible says is this unique role that God used these uh, men 
to proclaim and to give us uh, much of, of the, um, uh, the New Testament is given to us through the apostles. And the teachings that they have hold this significance because they are eyewitnesses of Jesus. And then many of them were with him, of course, as he was teaching and, and, and through his whole ministry, even seeing him baptized and, and seeing parts of John the Baptist's ministry and proclaiming uh, who Jesus is. And so, so that's a big deal. I know we just read that. We open up this book of the Bible. I read the Bible. Let's, you know, try to get something out of it. But that's really a big deal that he is uh, an apostle, and it uniquely qualifies him to share truth with these, these people who are struggling. Verse 2, it goes on to say, We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. What does it mean to be holy? Anybody ever call you holy? Yeah, not, not a lot of people call me holy either. Um, but Paul says, if you're one of God's people through faith in Christ, you are holy. You are God's holy people. And again, the significance of that term cannot be overstated. Holy means separate, uh, separate set apart. Something that is uh, perfect and sanctified and sacred. Uh, the Jewish people would understand, and, and it was part of, of, of what God set up in the temple system, that, that things were set apart because they were of God, and they were, they were so uh, sacred that they, they had to be treated in a special way because they were pure and they were perfect. And what does God say about this group? Even though they're struggling, and they're, they're, you know, there's some, some people who are kind of being strayed in different ways, he says, look, you guys are holy. You aren't like attaining holiness. You are holy. I'm going to use the attribute that God himself has that describes how perfect he is. And because you know Jesus, you're going to, be, you're going to get that attribute as well. That's huge. And then he goes on to say, uh, may God our Father who gives you grace and peace. And I just love that as Paul, you, you ever go to church and are surprised how encouraged you might get? I, a lot of people, I don't know, I, I, I've had some people in my life and they, uh, they've shared with me that they expect to go to church to be like challenged and to feel bad, walk out feeling bad. And I, that wasn't what Paul did. Paul wrote his letters. Now he challenged people with some things because he cared uh, immensely about truth, but, but he opens his letters with just love and, and beautiful truth about what this wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us because he's, he's addressing people who are claiming to put their trust and faith in Jesus. And he says, man, you are people that God has given you grace and peace. If, the, if, you don't, if that doesn't describe your life at some deep level, there's something you're missing out on what God has given you. you. You aren't stepping into, you aren't understanding, you aren't living in what God has given you. Grace and peace. Um, he, gets, uh, he gets more and more encouraging as we look in verse 3. It says, uh, We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and your love for all God's people. 
which come from uh, your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had these expectations ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And so there's a lot in there, but you'll see a theme if you read these letters, and Paul writes so many in the New Testament. He, he says again and again and again, the markers of the Christian faith are faith, uh, love, and hope. And you'll see that pattern again and again and again. And, and then I love how the description of hope is, is not just this hopefulness that you just kind of wish things go well and maybe they will. Maybe if you just have a positive outlook, that's how, what you should have. No, it's this absolute assurance that you have because it's not based in wishful thinking or your feelings or emotions or just desire for things to go well. It's based on Jesus' promise in your life because you put your faith in him. And so it's this confident hope is, is how Paul often describes it. And we see him describe it uh, that way here. Uh, and, and so uh, in this, I love, Paul's never even met these people, but he just has heard about them rece- receiving Jesus. And this young pastor that I mentioned earlier, that he just, he heard the gospel and he brought it to this community. And, and yet he'd already heard about them and he just said, man, I'm, I've been praying for you. And we'll see that he says this again and again, that he continues to pray for these people. And, and what is the marker of prayer? And so often we try to figure out, like, how does God want us to pray? His disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? It's a lot of it. And I'm just convinced more and more about this, especially as I, I read Scripture and I look at my own life, that if your prayers are not based in thanksgiving, and, and that's not a core key component to it, I think you're really missing out on how God wants to shape your heart and your mind. Because when you're thankful about stuff, it changes your whole attitude. Could I be honest with you guys? I had a crappy week. Is that all right? Can I say that? My week stunk. <laughs> I had like five, six things just go I mean, and, and I try to make light of it, um, you know, things from loved ones who are dealing with health issues um, to just all sorts of drama and, you know, ministry stuff. And I just had a, a poopy week. And as I sat there in my, you know, in my wallowing self-pity, I, I remembered what I'm teaching you guys and what God has taught me and what I see in the pattern of people who are, who are so uh, closely abiding in Christ and that when they connect with Christ, it isn't just I'm going to God to whine about what's going on in my life, but I'm going to God and I'm just thankful. So, yes, I want to kind of pray about all this junk that, you know, didn't make my week great, Kristen's homesick, um, you know, all sorts of things. And, and, uh, but instead, I was like, no, I'm going to start out praying just, man, just what, I've, what, I've, what you've been teaching me, God, just be thankful, be thankful. And, man, I, I walked away from, from a time of prayer this morning just going, life, life is awesome because God is awesome. And, oh, yeah, there's some stuff happening in my life, and it's not that I've forgotten that. But, man, there's some things that, that just cannot be taken away that changes my whole attitude. Um, so this uh, faith, hope, and love uh, that, that he mentions 
part, partly why he mentions this is what Paul is dealing with. If we could get real specific and we'll jump into it probably in week three, we'll kind of see the details of all of this. But he's dealing with outsiders coming in. Some of them have a Jewish background, and it's this Jewish group who are real mystical in their, in their, um, in their faith and expression and understanding. And they're trying to add some of that into it, as well as legalism. This mysticism of kind of worshiping an experience, worshiping and desiring to have something that gives you, uh, well, if you're you know, Jewish, not having the understand the Holy Spirit fully, but, but we might call them Holy, goose, uh, Holy Ghost goosebumps, you know? Like, I, I want to always, like, have that, that incredible mystical feeling or, 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 or see things that are miraculous, and, and you're kind of going after those things, sometimes in more, uh, with more of a heart than after Jesus himself, uh, because you're, you're just so fascinated by the mystical uh, so the, these mystics were trying to influence the early church. Uh, but then they also wanted to bring their legalism. And we see Paul address this all the time. You want to see Paul get real salty and, and get real, you know, kind of very frustrated. It is when he hears that people are trying to say that what Jesus did wasn't enough. That we got to add. We got to keep and, and, and keep some of this Old Testament law that you have to add that to what Jesus did to be right with God. And, and Paul gets very frustrated with that. He's dealing with that. And then there's this group that's kind of just starting up, but it's influencing them as well. So they're dealing with all these, these heresies, uh, these false teachings, this early church, and, and it's Gnostics. And Gnostics, they, they are all about deeper uh, secret information. You ever get excited about hearing insider information and like just want more and more? I could, after the service, I'll tell you who really killed JFK. Ooh, right? I'll tell you why NASA faked the moon landing, right? The, the shadows don't match up. I'll tell you why they did that, right? And sometimes there's something within us that goes, ooh, that's... That's fascinating, and then it kind of gets us excited about knowing stuff. I mean, at the very base root of it, it's kind of like gossipy, like just knowing information and feeling like you're in the know and other people aren't. Um, I'm, I'm really doing an elementary uh, uh, understanding of this Gnostic idea, but, but that's what they brought. We have secret knowledge, and to really be spiritual, and what God really wants is for you to know these secret things. Paul will later on say, God has revealed his incredible secret to us. It's Jesus, and that is his will, and that is his plan. Um, so he goes on, this, this faith, hope, and love, uh, and, and I love that he explains that this is truth, and that we can have confidence in this hope, not because we really, really want it to be true, because God does not ask us to have blind faith. He, he says, have reasonable faith. And that God, what he does as we see how he works throughout history is he gives us uh, incredible proof of who he is. That's what the resurrection is. That's what miracles throughout the Old Testament, that's what his revelation, that's what fulfilled prophecy, that's what all these things are. God is not someone who says, well, just have blind faith because then you would put your faith in anything. 
right? But no, this is a God who proves himself. And he's been proven to be trustworthy, so we reasonably put our trust in him. And this truth of the good news is based on the resurrection of Jesus. Ties into to a part of the apostles, I think, having to be a witness of the resurrected Jesus. Um, in, uh, in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, um, this verse is, uh, Pastor Nate and I were talking about this message, and, and he brought this up, and we were talking about this whole idea of, like, there being other information. Have you ever, sometimes, like, the History Channel, especially around Easter and stuff, will put out these, like, uh, programs about, like, the, these, these hidden secret gospels, you know, the Gospel of Mary or the Gospel of Thomas and, and all these things. And we go, oh, there's, all the, there's other information. There's stuff that's been hidden away for some reason. All of those are, have, have easily, easily been debunked as not genuine, um, genuine things that are coming from God, that are coming from people that have the kind of authority like Paul had as an apostle. But, but, but that can draw at us and, and we can desire those things so much and we just, we, we want to hear from God in, in new ways or exciting ways or maybe more personal ways. And, and there's a danger in that. We should know of all people, uh, of, of where we are, that there's a huge danger in people saying, hey, guess what? God told me something. I've got a revelation that I want to tell you, something totally different that God's doing now. Run away from those people because Hebrews tells us in 1, 1 through 2, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways in our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. That Jesus is the final and full revelation of who God is and what he's doing. And we don't need something more. That's the danger, and that's what's so sad about all these heresies that the Colossians are, are getting into. It's this endless desire to want more and to think that there's more to something. And, and, and if I just know more or if I experience more or, or whatever it is, basically you're saying Jesus isn't enough. And, and that's the trap that you can, you can find yourself uh, in even even those prophets long ago, they had to prove there were very high standards to show that they were really prophet, prophets of God. Right? Um, we won't get into that. Moving on, Colossians six, chapter one, verse six says, "This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world." It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first, you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so Paul makes a big emphasis on this. Um, that there, This is what you're dealing with is people coming in trying to tell you a different gospel, a different good news. They're trying to change it and twist it. And what you need to know is this same good news that Jesus is enough and he's accomplished everything and we don't need to add to that. This same good news, uh, well, let me just share with you, all over the world, it's producing good fruit because that's what it does. When we embrace and know and understand God's grace in our lives, what the, the thing that happens when we fully understand it, now sometimes we, we don't understand it, and sometimes, so sometimes the fruit doesn't come out as it should, 
But when we fully understand it, uh, fruit is, the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes out. And he says, he's kind of given like, he's kind of backing up his point here. Like, look, this is beautiful things of God changing lives is happening all over where, where this good news, this same good news, Paul does a big deal. It's kind of a long passage, but it's such a powerful one about not changing the good news. In uh, Galatians, in the very first chapter, some of you guys might be very familiar with this, and I can't read it from here, but it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is breaking the heart of Paul, which is really no gospel at all. That's the point. And, and that's the thing, when people come to you and say, I've got a better gospel. I've got a better way of following Jesus. I've got a better Christianity. You should, they're warning lights. All this stuff that God has given us through his word in the New Testament to believers, should, warning lights should be popping up. Uh, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you uh, accepted, let them be under God's curse. So this is something Paul dealt dealt with time and time again. Um, Goes on to say in in verse 6, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world uh, just as you, uh, as we see God uh, changing our lives is the outcome of it. Um, I love, here's what, what happens when we understand that, that the good news is, is rooted in grace. Um, we give Jesus all the credit for what happens in our lives when we understand his grace changes our nature, our identity, we get the grace of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We get the grace of, of our position with God being holy. Then these, these good fruits come out of our lives. Here's signals and warnings of, of someone going down the path of twisting the good news and trying to make it become a religion. It is pride condemnation, and some of you guys have heard me say this, but I'm going to add one, and levels. I feel like that's always, these three things can almost always be seen when people try to take Christianity and then twist it and change it. The, the pride comes in when you think you're, you've got the secret inside info. You're following God. You've got a better gospel than everyone else. And so what else, what's the natural uh, outcome of that, not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but, but the fruit of pride, of going, I know better, I'm following better, I have better experiences, I've got more of Jesus. Uh, or the flip side of that is condemnation. If you're under this misunderstanding of what Christianity is, and you don't live up to whatever the extra rules are, or you feel like, well, I don't have that experience that those people have, or, or I just don't know God like they know, then you're a second-class Christian, right? And guess what? The Bible says there's no second-class Christians. There's no, Paul's not like, all right, all you holy people, and then all you bench-warmer holy people, 
or less than half, you half holy people and you fully holy. There's like in Christ and he's perfect or not in Christ. It's, it's a either or. But religion, it's all about levels. So, so part of that is a level thing of I'm, I'm doing good, you're doing bad. So false Christianity, twisted gospel always produces pride, always produces condemnation. What camp are you in? And then there's usually some kind of uh, people who are in authority are, are kind of almost worshipped. And, and, oh, wow, they're an authority, and they have this kind of uh, position, and I want to get to that position. The Christian message is if you, if you have Christ, you have it all. I, I'm not more holy than you or righteous than you because I'm a pastor. It's just a role God has asked me to, to, to fulfill. Moving on quickly in Colossians verse 7, it says, You learned about the good news from Epaphras. He's my boy. He's my church planner. He's the guy who said, man, I don't know what's happening. These outsiders are coming in. Maybe they know more than I know or something. So he goes to the guru, Paul, um, and he says, no, the good news you heard from him, stick with that. That's life-giving. That's full of grace. That's what God is, is going to be honored in. Our beloved co-worker, he is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your benefit. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And that is the indicator that people have really encountered Jesus. It, it, this picture that, that God pours his love into us through Jesus, and, and, and the natural thing that happens is we pour our love out to other people. I love how Paul put it in some ways. He said, you know, this, is, this would be awesome if you could take, we got some awesome huge mountains here, right? Um, if you could take some of these mountains and, and just because you're so spiritual and holy, you had this power, you could like move it. Because like, you know, I want a better view in my backyard or something, so I want to move this mountain. He said, that, that'd, be, that'd be impressive, right? Anybody not be impressed by that? If you, you know, I, man, I always, I always want to learn Spanish. And I've took, taken many, many Spanish courses, and I, I can barely say hola. You know, you just, it doesn't stick for some reason. But um, Paul says, what about this? What if you could speak the language of angels? Thought, Whoa, man, that's a language that would be incredibly impressive. He's like, man, and then he goes on with more and more things of all these incredible uh, spiritual things that you might be able to do. He says, but, but none of it is really worth anything if you don't have love. That love is the marker of someone who has encountered the all-loving God and poured grace into their life. Um, so, so he mentions that, that, that that's beautiful, that you love others. The Holy Spirit really must be at work in your life. Verse 9 says, so we have not stopped praying for you. Again, he's, he's never even met these people face to face. Yet he has a love for them because Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit's pouring out love through his life. Uh, we first heard about you when we asked God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, knowledge of his will, this is different from people coming in going, hey, here's insider information to make you more spiritual, more Christian, whatever. This is knowledge of his will. Paul, like I said earlier, will go on to say it's not secret. Uh, last week, we talked about the will of God. It's not a secret. He wants you to, to pray, to be thankful, uh, to be full of joy. These aren't secret things. 
The will of God, if you want to sum it up in one word, is Jesus. That's the will of God. It is Jesus coming to this planet to do the work that, that God had him do. It is Jesus uh, uh, dying on a cross for us. It's Jesus in us and us in Jesus. And it's Jesus offering this salvation to all people. And that's a big theme we see throughout the Bible. Not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles as well. All people. This is God's great, wonderful will. Not something secret, but something very open and to be celebrated and understood. And so, um, not some secret thing. And then spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, that's, not, that's not an intellectual understanding of something. That's, that's, that's a moral character thing. That, that when God works into your life, that's, those are the things that come out. Then the way you live, is it really that time? Then the way you live and always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, uh, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Know him, and, and the picture we get there and the word that's used there is know in a relational way. Not that he's trying to keep things secret from you, but just that you would know him uh, in this personal, closer way as you walk with him uh, through your whole life. Verse 11, we'll get through this to 14. And uh, <clears throat> we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. So we will, uh, we will, all, we, we will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking, there's that theme again, the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance uh, that belongs to his people who live in his light. Now, the things I have highlighted there, other than the thanksgiving, is that God does this work, right? It's all his glorious power in you. Religion is depending on ourself and our own good works and our own efforts and own, our own ceremonies that we try to fulfill, but we see this theme that Paul is saying, you guys know the good news and this is what it is and don't stray from it. It's all his glorious power uh, in you. It is he who enabled you to, to do anything that he wants you to do. And then lastly, the last part of the, this passage for this morning, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgiveness of, of our sins. Now, here's the theme again. This whole thing of what has happened in your life is still continuing to be attributed to who? Us and our greatness and our wonderfulness and our, our high standards. And morale. No, it's all God. It's God who does all this work in us, and it's been done and completed. That's why I highlighted the EDs. It's past tense. He has transferred you into God. I, this... This week, I sat down with, with a man who was struggling with so many things, and he grew up in a Christian atmosphere and household, and yet, as he described the Christian faith and the gospel to me, relaying it back to me, it, it was just completely off. It was completely just religious-based. He said, you know, I guess if I die in heaven, I'm kind of worried about standing before God and God opening up that Lamb's book of life. And I bet there's going to be pages and pages about me. And he was referring to the mistakes he had made in his life. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is a book of names. <laughs> That's what it is. If your name's in there because you've trusted Jesus rather than something else, 
your own morality or whatever, and that's what he was doing. He was going, well, he's going to have all these pages of bad things, but later in life, as I'm sitting down here having coffee with a pastor, I'm trying to straighten things out, and I've done some good things, and I'm trying to do right by my family and my boys and all these things, and I'm like, ah, man, you grew up in church, but you don't know the gospel at all. And it was so life-giving for him to hear and to understand what Jesus has really done and accomplished fully, that he has purchased. All this is past tense, and he's given you freedom today, and he's given you forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. And it is grace, God's grace, that moves us to live for him.